Amen. You guys hear me okay? Mark was talking about it being a, a time where we check our clocks in the morning. He said, check your VCRs. Just how many of you even have, have a VCR? Just, okay, you've got like two hands. All right, okay, okay, okay. All right. Well, I have a little one at home that's about 16 months or so old, so there's no such thing as daylight savings. You just get up when she wants to get up. So I've been up for a long time. I'm sure like some of the other parents in the room here. So um, this morning, we're going to have some fun looking at some scripture. And um, the message that I want to look at today is looking at Joshua, the great follower. So, you know, if I was to sell this as a book, I'm not so sure that this title would sell. Who wants to read a book about being a follower? Most people want to read a book about being a leader, right? You know, the the 10 best, most highly effective habits of a leader. Or you can look at, you know, leadership for dummies or all the titles out there today would be around leadership, perhaps not following, hey? But uh, this morning, we are going to focus on how to be a great follower. And we're actually going to look at the life of Joshua as an example of this for us. I think it's great because we can pick a real person with flaws who isn't perfect, um, probably like you and I, not perfect. So it's good. We get to look at him in scripture as an example. So I wanted to pick up in a story of Moses and Joshua where they're working together with God in a time of serious adversity. And we're going to read this in Exodus, but this is a time where they actually get attacked by the Amalekites. And the Amalekites were a brother nation to Israel, those of you who have heard of them before. And actually, they were descendants of Esau. So those of you who remember Jacob and Esau, they were the ones who kind of squabbled over the birthright. And Esau sold his birthright to Jacob for a bowl of food. All I can say is he must have been really hungry and it better have been good food. But he sold his birthright like it was nothing. And Esau goes on and ends up having a grandson whose name was Amalek. And obviously, all these people of his tribe loved this guy because they named the whole nation after Amalek, which is the Amalekites. And they are now the ones that come and attack the Israelites. So this is a brother nation um, that attacks the Israelites completely unprovoked. So this is pretty serious. So the scripture tells us in this story that the Amalekites basically laid wait for the Israelites— And when the opportunity came, they came and attacked them. No, they didn't do it head on. They kind of came in from behind and started taking them out from the back end. Pretty, um, these guys were real heroes, hey? So not only did they attack from from the back, they also attacked the Israelites when they were super weak. So they had actually just crossed through the River Jordan. They'd just been sustained by manna in the desert from God. And they had just received water, totally parched, desperate of thirst. They received water from a rock, which Mark alluded to last week. They'd received sustenance to survive and basically get them through the next leg of their journey. And at this point, the Amalekites come and attack them. Wow. So in a time where God sustained them for the journey ahead, the enemy comes to attack. Sound familiar? Anybody ever feel like you've got breakthrough in your life and as soon as you get breakthrough, all of a sudden the enemy just shows up to try and steal it from you? Am I the only one? I'm sure this has happened because this is, this is the nature of the devil, right? This is the nature of the enemy is to rob, kill, and destroy. It's almost as if they had just stood up and the enemy came and pushed them over. 
This is what the devil does. He likes to push us over after we stand up. But what I love, though, is that in this, we also see that as they are pushed over, as they're attacked, that God doesn't leave them in a pile, in a heap, on the ground. He comes and he picks them up and he restores them like a good father, and he brings them through in victory. Amen? So God doesn't leave us in a pile and he doesn't abandon the Israelites here. So there's good news in this story. So despite them getting attacked when they're already weak, God's got a plan and he sees them through. So let's look at the story. So we're going to look at Exodus 17 in the NIV from verse 8. And we'll put it up on the board for you if you didn't bring your scripture or bring your Bible this morning. It says, The Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Moses said to Joshua, Choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired, they took a stone and they put it under him and sat on it. And Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on each side, one on the other. Sorry, one on one side, one on the other. So that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekites, or the Amalekite army with the sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, Write this on a scroll as something to be remembered and make sure that Joshua hears it because I will completely blot out the name of Amalek from under heaven. Then it says that Moses built an altar and called it, The Lord is my banner. He said, Because hands were lifted up against the throne of God, and the Lord will be at war against the Amalekites from generation to generation. Quite the story. There's a lot here. But I think it's interesting to me, and I find it intriguing how people... Um, deal with pressure or respond against adversity. Um, No, I'm not sadistic. I'm not wishing hard times on anybody, but it is interesting how we respond when there's pressure and when there's difficult times. And it's often in this place that actually character is tested because when we're squeezed, what's on the inside is what comes out. We don't have the time to kind of coach ourselves in the mirror and prep ourselves before, you know, and hype yourself up. I can do it. You know, you ever do that in the morning? I can do it. I'm a good person. I've got this. You're the best. You know, all those self-help things like rile yourself up and, well, you don't get the opportunity when there's pressure, when it just happens to show up. We get squeezed and whatever's there comes out. That's why it's a good test of character. So this is what happens with Moses and Joshua. They're facing a serious problem. So we've got Moses, who's the leader, and we've got Joshua, who the scripture tells us later is, um, is the one that comes alongside Moses um, and basically is referred to as an aide or a helper or assistant. So if Moses was maverick, Joshua would be goose. All right, some of you watch Top Gun. All right, good. All right. Okay. All right, just checking. Just checking the crowd. All right. So... When we look at Joshua in this story, what do we see? And I think there's six keys for us this morning when we look at this scripture, that if we want to be a great follower, not an average follower, if we want to be a great follower, what do we see? And I want to look at the first point. The first point is this, know your position. 
If we want to be a great follower, know your position. Joshua knew his position. His position was to gather the men and fight. He was put in charge in the natural to wield a sword, to be as a general and rally a troop and go and fight for the enemy. Joshua carried out his position in the natural. It wasn't to stand in the midst of a battle and just watch Moses on the hill, thinking Moses, well, he's the leader. He can sort this out and do it. No, his position was to wield a sword, to do something in the natural and to get a job done. This was his position. Now, Moses also knew his position. His position, although he might have wanted to go and grab the sword and go and fight, because Moses was a bit like that. He was a bit tenacious. But he knew his position was actually in the spiritual realm to get on the hill and to intercede on behalf of the Israelites, to hold the staff up and both hands up, which by the way is a fabulous picture for us of worship. I love that we did that this morning. It was in my notes that actually this is a position of worship that it's all about Jesus and we acknowledge God. And that's what Moses did. He knew his position. I got to get to the hill. I need to intercede for what God wants to do. So we also know that God had a position in this, which was ultimately to take care of the battle. And we know that it was God that did it because it certainly wasn't Joshua on the ground alone and it wasn't Moses alone because Moses couldn't even hold his own hands up. He couldn't do it. How many of you have been called to a position that you couldn't do on your own? It's not a bad thing. Actually shows that we have dependence and a need for God. And this is great because Moses is an example of that for us. So God gets the honor and he gets the glory here. That's his position is to take that. He gets the credit. Moses didn't take the credit. Joshua didn't take the credit. Moses made sure God got the credit. How do we know that? Well, at the end in verse 15, it says that Moses built an altar and he called the altar, the Lord is my banner because hands were lifted up against the throne of God or the throne of the Lord and the Lord will be at war against the Malachites from generation to generation. So this piece of the Lord is my banner, in the Hebrew, Moses calls the altar Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord is my banner. He's basically declaring that the Lord himself is the covering, the banner, the covering over the people. Why was this important? This was important so that for all future generations, they wouldn't just look at oh my gosh, I can't believe the enemy attacked us at this point. They wouldn't go back and look at this time and go, oh, Moses was so great, he was on the hill. Or, oh, Joshua was so great, he had the sword. No, he did it this way so that people would look, remember there was a struggle, but remember that God saw over the victory, that he was watching over the people. It's great. He gets the glory. But in this story, we do see that um, there's different functions. We've got Joshua and Moses. So they are in different positions, carrying out different functions. So they each have something to do in this place. But you know, sometimes I wonder, um, for us, can we get so caught up with what's happening around us that we forget what our position is? I wonder, I wonder if even in that time, if there was those that were part of the madness, because it would have been as such, if they forgot what their position was. Aren't you glad that in this story, Joshua didn't forget? That Moses didn't forget? You know, sometimes it's easy for us to forget our position. So my question for you is, if we need to know our position, what is your position? What has God called you to? 
What has he placed in your, in your life? Are you casually functioning or just existing in this position? Have you gone to the trouble of actually exploring how to do this position well or to grow in it or to get better at it? I don't know about you guys, I like sports. Anybody like sports? Show of hands, anybody watch the Canucks win last night? I had to watch the highlights, I was working on this. But um, I like sports. But you know, I played competitive soccer. I actually played for VIU a hundred years ago, it seems like that. Um, but you know, one of the things about a team sport is you don't want to be a certain guy. You know the guy you don't want to be? You don't want to be the person that always forgets his position. Hey, when you're playing a team sport, you want to be the guy that knows your position and plays it well. So why is it important that we know our position in the context of a team sport? Because if you don't play your position, other people have to fill in and compensate to carry the load of the team. <laughs> yeah, or the coach will replace you. That's true. <laughs> I like it. But it's true. Other people have to carry the load. So it's good for us to get better at our position. Why? So that if we succeed, the whole team can succeed, right? And it's actually the same in the context of kingdom. We want to work together in position and to know our position and do it well. I think one of the other things that's really interesting when I look at this scripture for us is that Joshua was given authority, but he was under authority. So he didn't just make up his own mind to go out and do this. He was appointed to go and rally a troop and to go and do what he needed to do. But it wasn't his own idea. And for us, even this morning, that I want to say that this is a biblical model, that God anoints individuals and he places them in positions of authority. So in the context of position, there will be those that are in authority. We know the scripture says that he, referring to God as the good shepherd, Jesus is the good shepherd, but he also appoints under shepherds, which are those that he puts in position of authority. This is how kingdom works. And in kingdom, to have authority means we must first be under authority. Absolutely. Actually, the most dangerous person is somebody that isn't under authority, somebody that doesn't have accountability. Because under authority is actually a healthy thing. Why is it healthy? because there's accountability. Look at this scripture here. We see Joshua is accountable to Moses and Moses is accountable to God. This was a safe place for Joshua. And I want to say this morning that actually for us, being under authority should be a safe place. It should be. So for us throughout our life, no matter where that takes us, we will find ourselves under authority in various ways. So absolutely, first and foremost, under God, right? But not limited to, you also find yourself under authority in the context of family, in the context of the church, in your workplace, in our city, in our nation. There's authority all around us. Even Jesus was under authority. Let's look at John 12, 49. For I have not spoken on my own authority. But the Father who sent me has given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. 
Even Jesus was under authority. But I say this, and I know that there's probably two camps of people that I need to talk to for a moment when I talk about authority. So I just feel that there's two I really want to address. I think the first one is just those that cringe when I say that we need to be under authority. And you think in yourself, there's no ways I'm under authority. I don't want to be under authority. I'm not that kind of person. I'm anti-establishment. I don't trust people. I'm not under authority. And I just want to say that's kind of like running around with your eyes closed, pretending that it doesn't exist. And what I'm getting at is that you can avoid authority in some, t- in some places. Sure, you can run away from it, but it's still there. And actually, it's good for us. And if we look at Scripture and we see the way that this plays out, can I be as bold as to say that if we want to fulfill our purpose in life, we can't do it without first positioning ourselves under authority and learning in that space. That's what God has for us. And you'll see as I go through the scripture to that. So you can still sit in your chair and cringe at me. That's okay. I love you. But the second camp that I really felt like addressing here, and I just feel the Lord was highlighting, is for those that have been under authority and have been hurt. Because we live in a fallen world and man is fallible. And I really feel like there's those to address here. I said that under authority should be a safe place. And you know, it absolutely should be a safe place. But because of sin, man is fallible, even leaders. There is no perfect leader. But leaders have a responsibility to serve as Christ served. That's servant leadership. That's the responsibility. And actually, there's an accountability to God that any leader should be sobered by. And I want to show you a scripture on this, just so you think that I'm not all smoke and mirrors up here. Let me show you what the word says. Jeremiah 23, 1 to 4. Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the shepherds who care for my people. You have scattered my flock and have driven them away, and you have not attended to them. Behold, I will attend to you for your evil deeds, declares the Lord. I I don't want that to be (laughs) something that I need to hear from the Lord. And I'll tell you, I don't even want to unpack what that looks like, but that's what it says. But listen to this. It carries on. It says, then I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them, and I will bring them back to their fold, and they shall be fruitful and multiply. And I will set shepherds over them who will care for them, and they shall fear no more, nor be dismayed. Neither shall any be missing, declares the Lord. God deals with leaders that are out of line. And when a leader's out of line, it doesn't mean that we automatically just pander to everything that they say. We need to talk to the Lord 100%. But God deals with these leaders. And those that are scattered, he gathers. And I love this though. What does he do with these sheep that have been hurt? It says that he restores them to the oversight of another shepherd. Interesting. God's plan A stays the same. Just because one leader has failed doesn't mean now this whole position of authority is corrupt. And I think it's interesting for us because 
we can paint everyone the same, but man is fallible. But yet God's position of authority still remains. And what is his, how does he restore us? He wants to bring us under the oversight of another shepherd. Not so that we can run away into the wilderness and it's just me and Jesus and I'm good. No, God gathers us and he brings us under another shepherd. I love this. Leadership should be trustworthy. You know, as I look at this, I also feel like there's the, there's the hurt that's big and real, but then there's also that small little thing called offense, and I'm talking small caps, not big letters. Let's talk small, small letters offense. You know, I think for us, if we're a sheep or an individual where we find that offense continues to find us or follow us wherever we go, that perhaps God's plan isn't to go and just find another shepherd that's going to tell you what you want to hear. Perhaps what God's asking of us is actually to take the mature road, the higher road, and actually go and work through that offense so that all parties can grow and learn. Because God's plan is still going to be under a shepherd. His plan is still for authority to be worked out according to his model, according to his purpose. That's maturity for us. So I just want to encourage you that if you feel like, hey, that's you, and you know, everywhere you go, people just offend you, and you keep looking for that perfect church and that perfect leader, I hate to break it to you, you won't find it. There is no perfect leader except Jesus. He is the model and he is it. And it's good that there's no perfect leader because it's easy for us to then focus on Jesus, right? We know that every man will let us down, so we focus on Jesus. And when they do, we restore them by God's grace to the call and purpose that God has for them. Isn't that awesome? But if we keep our eyes on Jesus, it's easy. If we keep our eyes on man, it gets hard because we get let down. So, if we want to be great followers, know your position. All right, that's the first one. There's six of these. That was the longest one. All right. All right. We can't move forward without knowing our position. So the next one, serve faithfully. Exodus 17. It says that Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. Can I say, let's be quick to say yes. We should say yes more than we say no. We should err on the side of saying yes. We shouldn't err on the side of a Christian no. Anybody know what a Christian no is? I'll pray about it. That's a Christian no. You see, when it comes to serving, God says serve. He didn't say ask me if you should serve. He says serve. He did. Now, that doesn't mean that you should say yes to everything to serve and exhaust yourself and wear yourself out. Come on, let's use common sense here, right? We should be absolutely mindful that we need some balance, but God still says serve. We don't need to pray about it. We shouldn't err on a Christian no, okay? We should err on saying yes. All right, so when we look at Joshua, this wasn't time for him to come up with a better plan. Moses said, go and rally a troop and go and do the thing. Moses didn't go, well, I kind of have another idea. Why don't we do this? Or why don't we do that? It wasn't time to discuss this. This was serious. We needed to do something. It wasn't time also to complain about the task. Something needed to be done. Now, 
I think it's interesting because what did Moses say? He said, gather some men. Well, hold on. There's an army attacking them. Shouldn't he say, rally the army, send the first and second platoon, send the bombers, send, no, no. These guys had been in slavery for 400 years. There was no army. These guys didn't know how to fight. He just said, gather the men. So now all of a sudden the task goes from here to, oh my goodness, how am I going to train these guys to fight? And they have to do it right now. It's not like they get to train their muscles and how to block this and how to hold a shit. No, it's go and fight right now. And in the natural, that's a hard task. That's a tall order. I think what would have been easier for Joshua would have been go and bow down to the Amalekites, enslave the people, tell them we'll agree to whatever they want, no matter what, we'll just go do that. That would have been a really easy task because the people knew that. The people understood that. I bet you if a leader got up and said, we're going to enslave ourselves to the people, the people probably would have been, yeah, I guess so. That's just what we do, right? But that wouldn't have been a good leader because leadership is not about taking us back to bondage. Leadership is about taking us into God's future, his inheritance, his plans, and his purposes. Leadership is about taking us sometimes on a difficult path because the promise of God stands on the other side. So this is what we see. But Joshua follows through. He doesn't argue about it. He serves faithfully. And you know, on a journey for each one of us, we know that in life there's going to be obstacles. But functioning in our position will require us to be faithful and serve with perseverance. And it might not make sense. And it might just look like one foot in front of the other, you know? I don't know. I trust you, God. I see something, but I trust you. One foot in front of the other. And sometimes it looks like that. We might not understand everything, but we trust God. We trust where he's leading us. I bet you that some of these folks didn't understand what was happening and why they were, people were screaming and getting killed in the back of, you know, the population. And all of a sudden they've got to go to war Someone could have said, wait, could you just explain it to me? I'm not sure. But no, it was, let's go to war. We need to to move forward with what God has for us. And it's going to mean walking and doing something that's perhaps a little difficult. But Joshua modeled this well for us. And, you know, serving faithfully sometimes can leave us in a place of obscurity. Sometimes we're serving faithfully and we just wonder, what the heck am I doing? I'm going to show you this about Joshua. Let's show that picture up on the screen. All right. So one of the times where obscurity comes is when Joshua and Moses go up Mount Sinai, where Moses meets with the Lord and gets the Ten Commandments. Those of you that know the story, they go up for 40 days. Okay. But it's interesting because when you read the story, we see that the Israelites are on the ground. They've got food. They've got water. They're good. And then Moses and Joshua, they start going up the mountain. And some point, Moses goes into the glory cloud to meet with God. And Joshua's just kind of left somewhere on that mountain. Somebody point out where Joshua was in the mountain. Anybody have an idea? I don't know. Joshua's there, a place of obscurity somewhere. Well, Joshua was just trying to survive. Anybody ever seen the series Alone? where people get dropped off in the middle of nowhere. They did it on the north end of Vancouver Island. I think it's interesting because it doesn't take long for somebody to start to go crazy. (laughs) 
hey? But Joshua was 40 days alone. Not, not to mention food and water. Sure, that's difficult, but he was alone, a place of obscurity. I'm not worried about Moses. He was with God in the glory cloud. I'm sure he was fine. He probably had a buffet of manna and all the water he wanted. You know, and the Israelites, they were good, but there's Joshua in a place of absolute obscurity. And we don't hear him complaining about it. We just know that's where he was. And, you know, eventually Moses comes down, Joshua come down, they find the Israelites. They've got a golden calf. They're dancing. They're doing a bunch of stuff. Thankfully, Joshua wasn't caught up in that. They've got to deal with that. And then God moves on from there and he takes the Israelites forward. But faithful service is important. And it might take us to a place like that, but God has a plan. Colossians 3, 23 says this, whatever you do, whatever your task may be, this is in the Amplified, work from the soul. That is, put, it in, your ver- put in your very best effort as something done for the Lord and not for men, knowing with all certainty that it is from the Lord, not from men, that you will receive the inheritance, which is your greatest reward. It is the Lord Christ whom you actually serve. So serve faithfully. What's the next thing? If we want to be a great follower, we need to worship God, not man. Joshua wasn't focused on Moses. He was not worshiping his leader. He served faithfully, but he ultimately knew that worship was not to Moses. It wasn't to man. That worship was due to God. And for him, this is, this is huge because this is actually one of the most significant things that I think sets him up for his future is that he knew that Moses' authority wasn't his own, that it came from God. And it came from the relationship that Moses had with God. So therefore, Joshua knew that he needed relationship with God. So the most significant place we see that about Joshua in Scripture is in Exodus 33.11, where it says this, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the from the tent. Joshua wasn't satisfied with just a relationship with Moses. He wanted a relationship with God. He knew he couldn't have his relationship with God through his leader. Did you know that actually the Israelites were the opposite? They wanted a relationship with God through their leader. Later on, just to give you the perspective in Exodus 20, God speaks loud audibly, and it scares the pants off them. And they basically say, no, 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 Moses, you talk to God for us. We're okay. We're just going to do our thing over here. But that's actually not the relationship that God wants for us. God wanted to speak to the Israelites, but they wanted the relationship through their leader. And this isn't the way God does this. It's interesting because Mark spoke last week and cautioned us not to treat God casually. He spoke on holiness. And honestly, I feel like the, one of the most significant things for us when it comes to how we position ourselves with God is one of a direct relationship with God. If we want to see God as holy, we have to see God directly for ourselves. We can't have relationship through our leaders. So I just want to show you that. Uh, Mark, come on up here. Mark's going to play Jesus. Everybody excited about that? All right, I need two other volunteers. Jump up, come on up, whoever those are. Two of you. I'll pick you out. Come on, Michael Callum. Hey, there we go. Fantastic. 
All right, give these guys a round of applause. All right, okay. Okay, so let's call me the leader because what I've said here is that we can't have relationship through our leader with God. And you're going to say, but Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ, right? You guys remember that? Absolutely. Let me show you what that actually looks like. Okay, so I'll play leader, Paul. Okay, and you're going to stand, let's say right here. You're Jesus. All right, so I'm following Jesus and I see Jesus. We got a great relationship. This is good. And I say, Michael, follow me as I follow Jesus. But he's actually not going to stand behind me. He's going to stand here and he's going to face Jesus. That's it. And I go, let's follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. You need to, you need to see Jesus. Come follow Jesus. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Come stand right here. So this is how this works, friends. This is this way. I introduce people to Jesus. And I say, follow me as I follow Jesus, but you keep your eyes on Jesus. Okay. You want to see where this goes wrong? Okay. So follow me as I follow Jesus. Michael, stand behind me. And why don't you come and stand right behind Michael? And why don't you tell our lovely volunteer what Jesus says about her? Nadia, what would you... Nadia, right? Katrina. Katrina. Katrina, you are just such a woman of God. You need to know that you are a daughter of the king. Okay, so Jesus says, I'm going to cut him off, that's lots. Jesus says that he's a daughter of the king. Jesus would keep talking, but I would, as a leader, be like, I can't even remember all that. Okay, then I'm going to go, okay, can you just tell her that God likes her and that she's, she's kind of average? Just be great. There you go. All right, you see, you see now, how is her view of God? And God's view of her, as it comes through this channel, some of this message gets mixed. Okay? But if we're here where we're supposed to be, and I go, Katrina, why don't you hear what Jesus says about you? This is a personal relationship with Jesus. My role as a leader is to bring people around Jesus, not to have them stack up behind me. Follow me? All right. Thank you, guys. You see, when we do that, it keeps Jesus as the center of our attention. He's the focus. He's the one that we worship. He's the one that we adore. And we're to worship God, not man. This is great because it, it helps us know where all of our identity comes from and all of our value comes from. And it makes it easier to serve, doesn't it? So the closer we get to Jesus the easier it is to worship him. And worship means to revere, to adore, and to hold in high regard and exalt. Those aren't the things we want to do with man. What we want to do with man is honor them. And I'm going to get to that in a minute here. And maybe sooner than later. My time is running away on me. Okay, so the next thing, if we want to follow Jesus, is that we need to honor our leaders. So one thing that I've learned over the years is familiarity can breed contempt. Well, what do I mean? I mean that the more we become familiar and comfortable with something, the easier it is to be casual about it. And we can have a bit of loss of respect and the little things can kind of get under our sin or under our skin. <laughs> All right. They can get little things can get under our skin. Just ask anyone in the room that's married. All right. But God still has a plan in this. And we've heard people say that people aren't perfect. But the more we spend time, 
the more we see it for ourselves and go, oh my gosh, look at the flaws, look at this, look at that. The imperfections kind of speak loud. And this can happen in any place, whether it's our boss, whether it's a parent, whether it's our pastor. Joshua had to deal with this too, friends. Joshua had to deal with this. He had to honor his leader. And there's a crazy story that Mark alluded to. I don't know if you caught that last week, those of you that were here. And he talks about Moses marrying a Cushite woman who was an Ethiopian and Miriam and Aaron was the sister and brother of Moses. They weren't so happy about this. And they're the ones that were closest to Moses at the time. And for time's sake, just to paraphrase it, basically they're just kind of gossiping and going, does God only speak to Moses? Look at what he's doing. Look at this decision. They didn't agree with it. It didn't make sense to them. And they go, well, God could speak to us. Not just Moses, God could speak to us. And then it says that the Lord heard this, came down in a pillar of cloud and speaks to them. And he says, he is faithful, referring to Moses, in all my house. With him, I speak mouth to mouth, clearly not in riddles. And he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And it says that the anger of the Lord burned. God wasn't happy. Miriam gets leprosy out of this thing. Um, God deals with them. Now they end up, Moses cries out and they get better and everybody moves on and it's all okay. There's some issues dealt with here, but it's interesting to me because I would say that probably their response to that decision that didn't make sense was probably something the rest of the Israelites were thinking too. I'm sure. They're just maybe the ones that it came out of. I don't know what Joshua was thinking, but I know what he wasn't thinking. He wasn't thinking what these two were, otherwise he would have been included in the one that God dealt with. But these two... They're going, what are you doing? What are you thinking? But you see with this, I love that God comes and he defends, not Moses's, not Moses's decision. He defends his position. He defends his authority. That's what God comes and defends. And the reason this is important is because honor is not based on performance. We don't get to sit in a judgment seat and determine if someone is worthy of honor, like somehow it's up to us as judge. We don't dish it out like brownie points or gold stars. Those of you that like to collect those. Um, but you see, honor is seeing the value of someone and treating them accordingly. Honor is constantly encouraging someone towards their best. And it's more than just respect. Biblical honor actually empowers people to be who God has called them to be. And God has called us to honor everyone. 1 Peter 2.17, honor everyone, love your brother, fear God, honor the emperor. It's interesting because we're to honor, but especially those in authority. In this scripture, it says honor everyone, but then it goes out of its way at the end to highlight a position of authority. It highlights something specific. And we know in 1 Timothy 5.17, it says, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, I know that that scripture in particular is referring also to a financial piece here, but it's not limited to finances. This also is an honor that we should give to those in leadership. 1 Thessalonians 5.12 says, 
Honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you special guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. So why is honor so important? Because how we honor man is a direct reflection of how we honor God. And if we take the position as judge and we have to justify the honor that we give, we're not modeling the gospel, friends. The gospel doesn't ascribe love and value based on effort, does it? And if it did, and you feel that you're worthy of that, then put your hand up. But you're not. The scripture says that we're not worthy of that. But yet, Christ died for us. Yet he went to the cross when he could have said, you know what, the value for these, it's not worth the cost. I'm going to get down from the cross and you people should go up there. That's what he could have done, but he didn't. He stayed there. He was compelled by love and the value that he placed on you and I was so much that he gave his life. That's the gospel. And honor is important because it's actually a reflection of the gospel that we value people enough to love them like that. All right, you're following me. So if we want to be great followers of Jesus, we need to honor people the way Jesus did. Lay our lives down for them, especially our leaders. You know, it's interesting because Joshua did this for 40 years. And I would love to ask him, I hope one day I get to, how did you maintain a position of honor to Moses for 40 years? He had every reason to not, but he did. He maintained that position of honor. You see, honor is a choice. And I would say that it's an easy choice when we're a humble people. And honor overflows out of an attitude of humility. So the second to last point here is actually for us, if we want to be great followers, we need to stay humble. Joshua wasn't puffed up about his victory. In Exodus 17, 13, it says that Joshua overcame the Amalekites with the sword. He earned some bragging rights. Fair? But we don't see him doing that. So Joshua knew that he had victory, but it wasn't his. Ultimately, it was the Lord's victory. And Moses, he had his own part to play in that victory. And it's interesting because I feel like for us to remind ourselves that often our success is made possible by the leaders that are in front of us. And we can forget that sometimes. So as much as Joshua was winning on the ground, Moses was interceding on the mountain. I love that dynamic. And ultimately, the Lord saw to it, right? He was the banner, Jehovah Nissi. So for us, humility is important because both these two demonstrate this. They both don't look for the spotlight. They don't both want the recognition. You see, humility is freedom from pride and arrogance. Humility is not thinking of yourself as a worm, but seeing yourself as a child of God, dependent on our Heavenly Father. This is humility. What's the last thing? The last thing for us, if we want to be great followers, is be patient. Honestly, I swear that God didn't, he didn't create me, all of what you see here, with patience. I'm just being honest. But you know what's great is the Bible says that patience is a fruit of the Spirit, and I have that. So it means if you ever see me being patient, it came from the Lord, all right? <laughs> but I love it that God fills in the gaps for us. But Joshua's patient. He served Moses for 40 years. And I think really he had every reason to be frustrated, to be bitter, to be disengaged. 
but he wasn't. And we know that because when the time came for him to take over after Moses, he was ready. And God was prepared to let him take over that position. If he was impatient, I'm not so sure the outcome would be the same. I think it's interesting for us when we look at this because when I read the scripture, I can see myself when I see Joshua and how he worked through his relationship with God. And I think we can all relate to this story of being a great follower because this is something God's called us all to. But perhaps there's somebody in the room that feels like, hey, I don't want to be a follower. And to you, I just want to say this. Great followers make great leaders. And it's in that place that we learn how to treat people that follow us. And that's why great followers make great leaders. So for you today, if you want to be a great follower, know your position, serve faithfully, worship God, honor your leaders, be humble and be patient, and God will see to it and the victory is his, and he is good. I just want to ask if we could stand. I want to pray for us. I trust that God's been speaking to you this morning, and I'm going to invite the worship team up. I'm going to pray, and we're going to go out with some worship, because friends, it's all about him, and that's why we gather. God, I just thank you that you are the good shepherd, that you're our example. Lord, that we know that man is fallible, but you are the ultimate model. And Father, we just want to come before you and acknowledge that perhaps we haven't been the easiest followers, but you are good. You are for us. God, that you pick us up and that you lead us into the best of what you have for us, God. And we just say this morning, God, that we trust you, that we want to live a life that honors you, that worships you. We want to be great followers of you, Jesus. We just worship you now to you. We just say that you're worthy. You're worthy this morning, Lord. Let's worship the Lord, friends.